Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. So if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is where we're going to be uh, today. And I'm excited to share with you this text, even though uh, it's going to be uh, quite a ride, for sure. Uh, When you were little, did you have or did you think uh, that there were monsters? Do you remember that? Do y'all remember back when you were little? Any of y'all like, I still think there are monsters, you know, something like that. And not like the Monsters, Inc. ones, like scary ones, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Maybe they, uh, they lived under your bed or in the closet or up. Uh, you know, up the stairs in grandma's place or something like that, you know, and um, just places that are unknown and dark and, and that sort of thing. It evokes sort of a fear in your hearts. Just not too long ago, we were watching television in our room, right? And uh, it, was, it, was, it was later. And y'all know the, y'all know uh, like a week and a half ago or so when there was like snow and ice and it didn't last very long, but the snow and the ice, it stayed on the roofs for like a long time or there's a giant pile outside of Zateo for a, a long time, you know, that, that. Well, we're sitting there watching television and then all of a sudden there is this boom, like this loud crash right outside the window of our master bedroom there. And um, I'm proud to tell you that Jackie and I didn't even flinch. We're like steel. We're, we're parents. Nothing scares us, all right? So we're, we sat there and we didn't even flinch. But her dog was laying on the ground on the other side of her, like, uh, and it was down there on the ground. And it got up and tried to run through the bed. Uh, it just like jumped up and ran straight into the side of our bed. And we were like, Landry, come on, you know, like... Um, you got to be stronger than that. So I get over there and I, I peek out the window and sure enough, there's this giant pile of ice and it's all just shattered and something fell off the roof. And, and I don't know really what Landry was thinking. You know, I don't know if he thought it was a bad guy or a monster or something like that, but I do know um, that that dog is worthless. I, I know that uh, 100%. That, is, that dog's not protecting me from no one, all right? And so um, uh, he thought there's a monster. And you think, you're, uh, there, you think there are monsters when there's unseen things like that. But your parents tell you at some point, right, there's no such thing as monsters. They assure you. They shine the light under the bed or they turn on the closet light. They'll take you around the corner or whatever it is and show you there's no such thing as monsters, at least the way that we think of them, right? With fangs and, and, and red eyes and blood and stuff like that. There's, there's no such thing as monsters. But I would argue on a very real level, that there are monsters. There really are monsters, right? Uh, Like when you are trying to pass a class and you've got that paper due and that paper can feel like a monster, right? Or that final exam that's coming closer and every single day it feels like it's breathing down your neck. It it could feel like a monster. Or if you want to get into college and and you're applying for different schools and these sort of things and just your friends are getting their acceptance letters and you haven't gotten one yet. Sometimes when you go through life and you have a crushing debt, something that you just can't seem to pay off, that can feel like a monster. Or there's a lump or there's a, a soreness and you go in to um, get it tested and we're waiting on the results and, and the results feel, you know, like a monster. You can't, you can't really see it. You, it doesn't have a face, but it's definitely threatening and it's coming at you if you're a parent and your child is having a tough time socially right? At school, 
And you can't do anything about it. You can't be there. You can't protect them. You can't say anything. You try to coach them up before they go to school. But in your heart, it feels like a monster. Maybe, um, you know, you're newlyweds. Life is going good. And then all of a sudden there's a major repair. Like the car just dies. Or the air conditioner unit just goes. And you don't have no money yet, you know? And that feels like a monster. How are we going to pay this off? Should we get a credit card? You know, should we, should we ask your dad? All that feels like a monster. And dad feels like a monster at that point, you know? Maybe there's rumors at your job about layoffs or being fired. Or even, you know, waiting on good things. Even good things can feel like a monster. Like, like you really want to be engaged, You really want to find that person and be engaged. And just engagement, the the elusiveness of it for you and your life stage feels, it feels like a monster. Or, you you know, you're married and you want to have a child and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying. And infertility or um, conception, all that sort of just feels like a monster. It's a big, nameless, faceless monster that's attacking you. And we haven't even really talked about like global things. You know, COVID, COVID feels like a monster. Uh, right now, if you watch the news or you're, if you're paying attention to anything, then uh, the Russian-Ukraine situation feels like this looming, threatening monster. And it's like, how would that go? And if it does happen, what would it do to us? And, you know, the economy and just safety and security and all those sort of things. And so in a very real sense, it is right. And if you're little in here, if you're young— Your parents are not messing with you. They are telling the truth. There are no such thing as monsters. There's no monster under your bed. There's no monsters in the closet. However, you know, when we get older, we find out that there's this different kind of monster that really threatens not so much your life, but definitely the joy in your life and is constantly robbing you of sleep. What if I told you that the Bible talks about monsters? What if I told you it talks about beasts and that God confronts these sort of monsters. That's what we're going to talk about today. And before we leave, I hope that we have discussed this in such a way that it, that it puts all of our minds at ease. Let's pray together and then, and then we'll look at the text in Daniel chapter 7. God, thank you for your words. Thank you for what you have encouraged us. God, be with my mind and my mouth as I communicate these deep truths, this apocalyptic literature. God, protect us from the monsters of technology, everything going the way it should be, so it's not a distraction, God. Even those monsters that we listed just a moment ago, I know some of them landed right in the middle of our hearts, the back of our throats, maybe causing us to tear up just a little bit. I pray that they would be at bay for the next little while, that they would be silenced so that we can hear your words and that we can leave here more encouraged by you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. Daniel 7 takes a—it's a twist— it, ch- it changes. The first six chapters are different in their, in their style, all right? They're more what we call narrative. The last um, six chapters are what we call apocalyptic. And apocalyptic is a Greek word for revelation. So when you're in the New Testament, the last book in the Bible is called Revelation. Which, by the way, it's only one revelation. There's no S at the end of it. Sometimes you hear people say revelations. It's not revelations. Uh, it's revelation. Just like it's not Walmart's. It's Walmart. All right? And so um, just, just want to like let you know um, so you don't feel silly one day. Right? So it's only one revelation. And it's the same word. Apocalyptic and revelation. And they deal with the future. 
And in our culture, they have come to mean things like catastrophe. We feel like the apocalypse is upon us. Apocalypse um, now. You know, that sort of stuff. It feels like really bad things. Things are outside of our control. But in the Bible, it's not that way. In the Bible, apocalyptic literature is really emphasizing that God is in control. That he will repay evil uh, with judgment and he will restore the good. That's what apocalyptic literature is really about. So if you're ever in um, like a Bible study and somebody has all these charts and pictures. And so I've got pictures here in a minute. I'm really proud of them. But if we have pictures or something like that and you walk away fearful, then uh, you maybe have missed the point of the apocalyptic literature. The apocalyptic literature is not to drive you towards fear, but towards rest and ease in what God is going to do and what he's in control of. So let me read to you some apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature always deals with, uh, or it usually deals with uh, visions and, and, uh, and dreams and these sights, these things that are hard for us to wrap our mind around. So y'all ready for some of that? All right, let's do it. There's one person that's like, let's do it. And he's on staff. So, uh, so good job. Here we go. Daniel 7, 1 says, In the first year of King Belshazzar, of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind, and he was lying in his bed, and he wrote down the dream, and here's the summary of his account. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. That's usually the Mediterranean. And four huge monsters, these huge beasts, came up from the sea, each different from the other. Then he describes each one of them. The first one was like a lion, but it had eagle's wings, I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man and given a human mind. That's that's terrifying. Verse 5, suddenly another beast appeared, a second one, that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. And it was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads and it was given dominion. After this, yet another. While I was watching in a night vision, suddenly a fourth beast or monster appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong, with large iron teeth that devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the other beasts before it and it had ten horns. And while I was considering those horns, while I was thinking about those horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted. Before it, they fell off. And suddenly, in this horn, there were eyes, like, a, like the eyes of a human in a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. All right, that is a crazy dream, all right? That's the sort of dream that makes you be like, Daniel, what were you? Are you still eating your vegetables, you know, like you're supposed to? You're not, you're not eating the king's meat, are you? I'm going to try to change the slide. Um... It's a, it's a crazy dream. Let me get out of this and get back into it here in just a second. It's a crazy dream in which um, Daniel sees these four beasts. And on the, the four beasts, they come up out of the great sea. And that great sea is, uh, is more than just a setting. It's really supposed to invoke within you some sort of imagery of, of fear and overwhelmingness, Right? Have you ever been near the ocean or maybe the Gulf of Mexico when it is, uh, when a storm is coming in? When, when the sea is really loud, when it seems as though 
the water is angry. It's loud and there's, and there's uh, the splash and there's the dark clouds and that sort of stuff. That's just the setting. And from that comes these huge, scary beasts. Now, I have these images um, that somebody spent a lot of time on Photoshop with. Um, so you got the ribs here and the bear's mouth and you got the, the wings on all this. And this guy, I mean, this guy, he's just terrifying, right? Whatever he is, he's terrifying. Look, look at that little tiny guy with the, the mouth. Um, it looks scary, but I picture him having like, that's um, sort of his voice, right? You know, and so it's terrible. He was saying arrogant things like this, you know, and so um, very scary. This is the dream uh, that he has, all right? And this chapter, Daniel chapter 7, is supposed to remind us of Daniel chapter 2. They're extremely similar. If you remember back in chapter 2, there was this image of this big statue. And it had uh, feet of clay and iron. And then it had different legs and different um, torso. And then its head was made of gold. That was a similar setting to this one. They are one and the same. They have a very similar meaning that they were to describe to you these uh, four kingdoms. But here's the problem. We don't really know which ones of the four kings are. Like this, we do know. We do know that um, the lion, that's Babylon, all right? So I got a big old B over there, right? And then the second one, that would be um, the Medes or the Medes and the Persians, all right? It's making me draw on, but, but it could be the Medes and the Persians. There was a kingdom in which the Medes and the Persians um, blended together, all right? And most often we refer to that kingdom as the Medes and the Persians. But they were two separate kingdoms. So this one could be the Medes and the Persians. We know that that's Babylon. Then the one that took over um, Babylon was the United Kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. But they were at one time separate. If this is both the Medes and Persians, then this would be the Greeks and this would be the Romans, right? So this would be the Greeks, and this would be the Romans. But if this is separated, then that would be, we'll get back into this. This is the Medes, this is the Persians, and this is the Romans. You see, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We don't really know. All we really do know is that it is four different kingdoms, and they are terrifying. These real historic kingdoms did actually take over the Jews. They did actually go in and conquer the Jews in horrible and graphic ways. As he's describing this story, what we can clearly see, even though we don't know exactly who those kingdoms are, what we can clearly see is that it's all about conflict and chaos and gore, blood and upheaval. All right. So as he's watching this first scene, your heart is pounding fast. There's terror. There's all of this fear of what's going to happen. He's looking into the future. He's afraid of what's going to happen. And it's just ripping him apart. As I said, with that conflict there, what we will see throughout history is that that conflict is more than just a military conquest. It's more than just these um, armies walking into a kingdom and taking over land. There is a conflict that's happening with culture and commerce and religion. And because of human pride, people will lose their lives. When you speak about this, one of the illustrations is a Greek king named Antiochus. He um, rose to power after Alexander the Great, right? And he conquers Jerusalem. And when he conquered Jerusalem, they march into Jerusalem and they kill all of the males in the city, they, uh, the, the adult men. They take the women and the children into slavery. And then he dedicates the Jerusalem temple to Zeus, 
All right? And this act was called the abomination of desolation. And it is an illustration, a real-life illustration that what is happening through these conquests is more than just military. Religion and commerce and culture is all mixed into these fears, all mixed into what's going on with these beasts and with these um, terrible sights that Daniel is seeing. Every time our nation or our country or our world get into conflicts, then you'll see Christians that'll go back and they'll look into these, these visions and into these apocalyptic literatures and they're trying to see exactly who this means and what it is. But the best I can tell, and according to scripture, this has already happened, right? When I was a kid, uh, we went into a conflict called Desert Storm. We were, in a, we were in a fight, we were in a war. And my dad was deployed off on that war. He was um, sent over into Desert Storm. And all across our community, there were these big yellow ribbons. We tied a yellow ribbon around um, the tree in our yard. And I can vividly remember and how much it impacted me as a kid to be walking into Walmart, uh, Walmarts down in Gulfport. And we were walking in there and uh, there, you know, the things that stop cars from going up too far, you know, those big poles, you know, that sort of stuff. There were yellow ribbons around all of those. And that was not just yellow ribbons. That was my dad, right? That was my dad who was overseas fighting a fight. And so I remember in my church though, as dad is gone, I remember in my church that there was all this talk about apocalyptic literature because we were in a war, we were in a conflict and, and uh, Christians will often look towards texts like this and they're trying to figure out like which of these is Saddam, right? And, and, and I've heard it Everything. I've heard it like uh, some of these are Saddam or some of these are Trump or one of these is Rachel Maddow. I I see it all over the place, you know, and and all the time people are trying to look into this stuff. And so what I would just really want to convey to you at this point in this study is that this has happened. All right, this is done. These are four kingdoms, um, four of the five that I mentioned a minute ago, and it's gone. It's passed. And so you're not going to walk down the street uh, downtown uh, Conway and really be afraid of like a mead getting you, all right? You don't have to be worried about a person coming out and jumping out of the corner. It's not something that we fear, but just because it's done doesn't mean we don't relate to this in some way. It doesn't mean that we're not constantly surrounded by these monsters that, uh, that mix culture and religion and commerce, that we don't feel this tension. And at times we feel the tension as both a victim of it but then also as a war criminal in it. That everywhere we look, it seems like our souls and our hearts and the souls and the hearts of other people are in some sort of battle in which our own sanity and the lives of our children are at stake. If I was to rip these four beasts out of history and just give them names for the kind of kingdoms that are constantly at war within my heart and in your hearts, I would, I would call these maybe like uh, pride and pleasure comfort and control. That we wrestle and we will fight wars, waving the banner of control, that I will use and abuse other people so long as I remain in control, that I am, um, that I would seek my own pleasure, that out of my own pride, I would make decisions that are at the expense of other people, that I do that. That I'm guilty of those things and you're guilty of those things. And not only are we guilty of these things, constantly wrestling between um, the monster of pride, but we are also victims of other people's pride 
and of their pursuit of their own pleasure and their grasping at control and their willingness to do whatever it takes for them to be comfortable even if you are at a disadvantage or uncomfortable. This tumultuous season of these kingdoms coming up out of the Mediterranean of the Greeks and the Medes and the Persians is over. It's done. He saw it into the future and then it happened. But it doesn't mean that we as people of God do not constantly face and participate in these conflicts. So it's with those words that Daniel sees that in his vision, I can imagine him sweating, that he's scared, that his heart's beating fast. Verse 15 and verse 28 says that he was pale, that he was so terrified. And it's in that scene in which this other character steps. So don't lose it. Picture it as we go, right? Total chaos, deafening noise. Not only the sound of the waves, but also the sounds of the beast, right? As they devour, as they rip people apart, as they stomp out nations. That's what Daniel is surrounded by. And then into that scene is verse 9. I'm going to ask you to do something a little unusual, but you'll see what I mean here in a second. If you would all stand as I read these next passages. If you're able to, stand. I'm going to read these and picture this. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. And the court was convened and the books were opened. And I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words of the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. And as for the rest of the beast, their dominion, their authority, their rule was removed. But an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. Thank you. You can be seated. See, it's a completely different tenor. It's a completely different tone. It's not chaotic. Into that chaos, there is this calm that in the midst of all of that, you can almost see the wind and the waves silence and the beast stop roaring and thrones are set out. And this one, this character called the Ancient of Days walks out and takes his seat. And then you'll notice the way that he is described there. There's a number of things that are mentioned. It says his clothing was white like snow and his hair of his head was like the whitest wool. And then three times it mentions this idea of a flaming fire and a blazing fire and a river of fire. All of these are symbolic and all of them mean something. They are bigger than what's on the page there. That white robe is symbolic, like, like the way that we would um, think of a judge wearing a, a black robe. This judge, this king has a white robe on, meaning that he is completely morally pure. That there is no bias in his judgments. That he does not choose sides. There is right and there is wrong. And he perfectly makes the decision and the, and the distinction between the two. His white hair um, signifies in the Bible age and the wisdom that often goes along with age. Meaning that the decision that he is about to make is exactly the right one. 
He is wise and he is morally pure. These three references to fire are representative of his judgment that he is going to pour out. That it will consume what is evil. There's even a distinguishing. Did y'all, did y'all catch the imagery there between the raging sea that's out of control and a river that is within its banks flowing in the direction that God has orchestrated it? There's this beautiful picture of God's ultimate judgment power walking into the midst of these four beasts and this war, and he establishes order in that chaos. That God is stronger, that he is bigger, that he is better. Y'all ever watch nature shows? Anybody watch nature shows? I like watching nature shows. And uh, one of them, uh, one scene that seems to pop up a lot. This happens, I would imagine, it's like when I was a kid and I thought quicksand was going to be everywhere. I I feel like um, uh, this probably happens all the time if you're around that part of the world. uh, Where there's some sort of prey, right? Like a, like a gazelle or something, and there's these hyenas eating it. And they're all like squabbling and screeching and stuff, and they're biting at each other. Y'all know the scene, right? And they're all over one another. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's like this lioness, right? She comes up out of nowhere, and she just like runs right up in the middle of that crowd, and they all just scatter, you know? Because what seems chaotic and what seems um, out of control and powerful, and you have this like maybe 10 hyenas all attacking this one thing, when the lioness gets there, all 10 of them know she's in charge, all right? She's stronger. She's more powerful. She's deadly, all right? And even though for a brief second, right, a brief second, there's silence. There is never at any point safety. She's stronger, but she is not safe, all right? You don't want to be like, ah, hyenas, ooh, kitty. You know, you don't want to do that. You lose a finger or your life. She's not safe. That's exactly what's going on in this scene. All this noise, all this power, and then in steps God, and he just brings order. Immediately, just by his very presence, he brings order. But here's my caution to you. If you're watching online or if you're in this room, here's my caution to you. Do not think for a second that you are safe. Remember what I said just a moment ago, that we participate in these kingdoms. We fly the banner of pride. We march in the uniform of control and our own comfort. At times we are victims and at times we are war criminals. That we participate in these things. The fire in his throne, the fire, the river of fire that flows from him is just as likely to be poured out on me and to be poured out on you because we are rebels to that king. We fight and participate in the chaos. We are the noise. We are the perpetrators. We are the evil in those situations. So even though there is a second to breathe, You have to know and have to remember that we are not holy. We do not wear robes of white. We stand in his judgments. And so there's this next scene. Now, I had you stand earlier. I'm not going to have you stand on this one, but read carefully and slowly these next two verses. Verse 13. Look down there on your page. I continued watching in the night vision. Read slowly. Picture it. And suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached 
the ancient of days. And he was escorted in before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people and nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. I have a hard time teasing this one out, right? I have a hard time like trying to paint it all for you and then telling you later that that's Jesus. But that's Jesus, okay? That's him. That's him in his full glory. That we saw the Ancient of Days come in and sit down on his throne. And then he, in his wisdom and in his glory, hands over dominion to Jesus. And as Jesus stands there, here's where we can start to breathe. Here's where we can start to feel hope. That we are so much other than God, the ancient of days, but the one who is like the son of man. That one's like me. And he's like me on purpose. Listen, you remember in Daniel chapter 3, when it had the burning bush, uh, not the burning bush, that was, that's Moses, that's Exodus. Um, Daniel 3 is the... Um, fiery furnace, all right? And Nebuchadnezzar is looking at it, and um, there's three people in there. He's like, hey, how many did we throw in there? And they're like, three, your majesty. And uh, it's like, well, there's a fourth one. And it looks like, you remember? It looks like the son of the gods. You remember when I said that? And what I said was, it wasn't like he was thinking of Jesus. He was just thinking of this one identifies, it looks like it reminds you of deity. In this chapter, Daniel 7, it flips that whole scene. It's the same thing. That this one that is divine, all-powerful, all-dominion, everyone will bow their knees to the Jesus. That one appears like a man, like one of us. He does that because he is our representative. He is our advocate. He is the one that goes out there before us. He is standing before the judge on our behalf. And Jesus uses this language. Jesus uses this um, Language to describe himself. See there? Watching suddenly like the Son of Man. He'll use this language over and over and over in the New Testament to describe himself. In Matthew chapter 11, he says that John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, but the Son of Man eats and drinks. He just referred to himself that way. Also in um, Matthew 16 verse 13. Do y'all remember that story? where Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, hey, who do people think that I am? Y'all remember that? And they were like, some of you, uh, I heard one guy say John the Baptist. Another one's like, I was down at the market and they were like, Elijah. You know that, y'all remember that story? Well, when he said it, Jesus actually says it this way. He says, who do people say that the son of man is? Right, he refers to himself. This is how Jesus referred to himself. In several parts of the New Testament, he uses the phrase to refer to his own authority. In Mark 2, Matthew 9, Luke 5, Jesus repeats the phrase that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. I also love that in Luke 19.10, Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Right? He's referring to himself and his mission and his ministry and what he was going to do. John chapter 3. You know John chapter 3, right? Um, because of 16. Um, uh, God so loved the world. You know that verse? Well, that verse happened in this conversation with this dude named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus and him are talking, and Nicodemus is really confused. How can somebody be born again? It doesn't make any sense. 
And Jesus refers to that story and he says, just as the serpent was lifted up, it's an Old Testament story where the serpent was lifted up and everybody that looked at it would be healed. He said, just as the serpent was lifted up, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's referring to himself and the cross. Jesus is like, in order to heal people, in order to forgive people, in order for people to be born again, I, Son of Man, have to suffer. All right, now look uh, in your Bible, maybe off by the side of Daniel 7, write down Matthew 26. Write down Matthew 26, because this is, whew, this is a good part. This is the good part, believe me. I hope you think this is a good part. Matthew 26. Jesus is arrested, and, uh, and it's nighttime, remember? Uh, he had the supper with his disciples. He's in the garden and the soldiers come up and they arrest him and they take him and they drag him back and forth to all of these um, uh, fake trials and all that sort of stuff. They hit him. Um, they, um, they beat him. He is bleeding. I imagine uh, his eyes are watering. I imagine that he is sweaty. He's all by himself. He's out there in front of everybody and they keep accusing him of stuff. He's standing there like this shell of a man, absolutely ridiculed, and embarrassed and standing in front of everyone. And there's this one part where, where this is called the high priest. So you got to see the two pictures there. This broken, poor Jesus. Eye swollen because they keep hitting him. That sort of stuff. They've mistreated him. They've abused him. They've dragged him back and forth. And then this high priest comes and stands before him. The literal most powerful symbol in all of the Jewish faith. Dressed to the nines, his headdress on, the tassel, looking powerful and strong. I imagine this long white beard, this deep voice. He stands so disgusted with Jesus, so close to Jesus' face. And he says, are you claiming, you're under oath, remember you're under oath. Are you claiming to be the son of God? That's what he says. And Jesus says this. If things would work. Hold the thought. Man, technology. Jesus says. <laughs> that's not what's showing here. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus there in his most vulnerable stage, right before he's about to die, he says, I am the son of man. I am God. And you will see me high and lifted up. He's about to die. And what he's thinking and what he's saying and what he's doing is all about, I came to seek and to save the lost. I'm going to be lifted up. But when I am lifted up, every knee will bow to me. Jesus has the most, uh, I have no, this just grabs me because this is such the white cowboy hat, the gunslinger, marching right up into the middle of the bad guys. And he says, it is finished. No more will the monsters rule. No more will the monsters reign. So he steps into our world that is constantly at war, broken by sin, as God's representative for us. And he alone brings peace. That for anyone who trusts in Jesus will be saved. 
that we can trust him, that we can cling to him, and that he will represent us before God. It's not just that he saves us from the monsters, but that he goes before the Ancient of Days and he, and he, uh, he, he, he tries our case. He represents us in front of him. In John chapter 9, there's this story of this man who was blind. And Jesus finds him. He's been blind since birth. And uh, he takes some dirt and he puts it in his hands. Jesus spits in his hands. He makes the mud and he, and, uh, and he puts it on the, the, the blind guy's eyes and he's healed. He sees. He's healed. But remember, the blind man doesn't know who that guy is. Some dude just literally spit in his eyeballs and, um, and it fixed things, right? And he don't care because he can see now. So he runs back to the temple. He's telling the priest and all this kind of stuff. I was just healed. And they're all like, nah, you weren't the blind dude. And they're like, no, I was blind. And he's like, no, we don't believe you. And so they kind of kick him back out. And he's like walking away. I, I picture all disheveled and he's all sad, you know, because I was really blind, I promise. That sort of thing. And then he runs into Jesus again. And Jesus sees him and he's like, hey, listen to what he says. He says, hey, do you believe in the son of man? Do you believe in the son of man? It's such a powerful question because he's already healed. He doesn't need anything else from Jesus. It doesn't matter, right? He's already healed. But it does matter. Because he needed more than his sight. The hungry need more than their food. You need more than the resolution of whatever problem it is that you're facing. You need to answer the question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind guy says, the previously blind guy, looks up at Jesus and says, I, I don't know. I've never met him. And Jesus says to a guy that was blind an hour ago, you have seen him. You have seen him. Jesus is the son of man. And so the question for everybody sitting in this room today, the question for every one of you watching online and you're listening in, the question for those of you who will listen to the podcast later, listen to me, I am asking you, do you believe in the son of man? Do you trust him? Do you put your faith and your hope in him? He is the only one that will heal you. He is the only one that will save you from those monsters and protect you and forgive you for those sins. So do you believe in the Son of Man? Here's the two applications as you're walking out of here. The first one is don't lose your cool when things get heated. Or another way to say it is the Ancient of Days still sits on his throne. Listen, there's this growing anxiety in me, and I'll just be really honest with you. There's this growing anxiety in me that is looking toward uh, the next presidential election, right? Because everything kind of quieted down for a little bit, but it feels like a, a simmering just right under the pot, right? Right under the lid. That as soon as all of that burst forth back into our world and the media becomes obsessed with it again, then people will lose their mind. And it's going to be just as heated as it was before, maybe even worse. There's a growing anxiety within me as a pastor and as a leader to, to lead people through that sort of situation. People who disagree on situations in a community and in a culture and a country that disagrees on everything and makes everything about that situation. There's a growing anxiety within me. There's a growing anxiety within all of us about Russia and the Ukraine. And what's going to happen there? And how does it mean for us? And what does it mean with safety and peace and our economy and all this kind of stuff? Let me tell you, right now, in these moments, before, it's like, like we're headed down this thing. And I am telling you, I'm screaming out at the top of my lungs, don't lose your minds. God is still on his throne. 
There wasn't any sort of monster that came up out of that sea that made the Ancient of Days rock in his chair. He is that lion in the middle of that. And all monsters run from him. All beasts are put to death by him. He's not afraid of anything. God is still on his throne. No matter what you're facing, no matter what the test results come back, no matter if you still make it into the program or into clinicals or if you pass these sort of things or if you lose your job, God is still on his throne. Nothing will rock his chair. And then the second point is to remember that there is only one son of man. I have this problem, right? As a pastor, I want to walk into your worlds. I want to hear your your problems, you know, because you come and tell me. And I want to listen to them. I want to be there for you and I want to listen and then I want to fix it, right? You know, because I'm a pastor and I'm a dude and I want to fix it. And so this is how, just do this and it'll work. And you're the same way. You know, ladies, you'll hear your girlfriend talking about her marriage or something like that. And you want to like, listen, this is how you're going to fix that, right? You want, you guarantee her that if she just listens to you, you know, Get that guy in, in line. You know, that sort of stuff. You want to fix it. Or your child's situation. You want to walk into that and make sure that everything's going good. You want to make that bully hush, that sort of stuff. Listen, we have got to constantly remind ourselves that there is a Messiah. And his name is Jesus, not Josh. They have a Messiah and you ain't him. They have a Messiah. So it doesn't matter who runs for presidents. He or she is not the Messiah. It doesn't matter what nut job preachers on YouTube yelling about witches in his congregation. He is not the Messiah. He is not the Messiah. We have a Messiah. You can find somebody on YouTube or Facebook that's put all the clues together and shown you all the videos and figured out all the conspiracy theories. And that person is not our Christ. We have a Christ and his name is Jesus. And he's the only one that I am going to put my faith and trust in following through all of this. We have a Messiah. Not too long ago, I told y'all that we went to uh, this place called Grandscapes. And at that place, there was uh, a virtual reality deal. The coolest virtual reality one that I've ever been to. And uh, it was like this platform, just about that big right there. And it had fans all over the place and it had heat lamps all over the place. And when you stood on it, you stood in a corner. There were four of you, you know. You stood in a corner and you grabbed onto this like really kind of a modern uh, spaceship looking gun. All right. Had buttons. And um, they put on goggles and and headphones, um, earphones on. That sort of stuff. And once all that happened, you were in that world, okay? If something blew up, like say it blew up over here, that heat lamp would come on really strong and you would feel the flames on you. And if your little cart started going this way, those fans would come on and you felt like you were... I was standing there and I could even turn around and I could see Jackie's avatar in the virtual world. And I could turn over there, there's my father-in-law, there's my brother-in-law, and we're going to shoot some aliens, all right? And so we're standing there and I was all excited about this. And uh, we get in there and we put the the, the goggles on and then all of a sudden um, the, uh, the little thing we were on starts moving right it's like a train it was taking us down this way and we're, we're shaking and we're shooting some stuff it's blowing up and then the thing we're on gets picked up by this spaceship or whatever and it flies hundreds of feet into the air I'm, I'm not exaggerating hundreds of feet and the thing we're on would tilt you know this kind of stuff so it 
shot us up into the air. And I'm in this virtual world. And I could find myself as I was shooting things and, and blowing up things. I realized at one point, I'm in the game like this, right? All the way leaning back. Why? Because I didn't want to fall off the edge uh, and, and die with hundreds and hundreds of feet right below me. That's where I was. And when I realized I was back here, I had to tell myself, I just watched the boys play this game. At no point did they fly up into the air, right? Could you imagine being a parent like, yeah, hold on. Whoa, you know, like that. It didn't happen. They never got off the ground. Not one time did they ever get off the ground. It moved and the fans were going, but at no point did it ever get off the ground. But when I was in it, when I was in the middle of it, it felt so real. It was scary. My heart was pounding. I was afraid to fall off. And I just had to keep telling myself about the real, real. I had to keep telling myself, you're not off the ground. Those things aren't shooting at you. You can't be hurt. There really are monsters. And this world really is scary. And there are forces that are powerful and bigger than us. But the real, real is that the Ancient of Days still sits on his throne. And there is a son of man. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.